Ephesians 5, 8 says, walk as children of light. And uh, really, at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. We started a, a new series last week entitled Intentional Influence. So last, last Sunday, we, we had all of our young people on the stage. Uh, we had uh, from, from kindergarten all the way up through our college-age students. And we wanted to pray a special prayer for them as they started a new school year. And if you were here, you remember what we said uh, in a couple of different ways. We just tried to say, we want you uh, students to be intentional about your influence. We don't want you to neglect that influence. We don't want you to understate that influence. No, but we want you to be the people God calls us to because, as we noted, God has always wanted his people. He has always desired that his people would be a positive influence in the world. And so today we continue that and, and we shift away from the uh, thinking about and looking at what it looks like for our students to do that in their, their schools. And now we want to focus our attention on, on a different sphere of influence, and that's our workplace. What does it look like for, for us to be intentional about our influence in our everyday arena of life, the marketplace, the place where you do business, the place where you go to work? It's been estimated that the average person will spend 150,000 hours at work over the course of a lifetime. If you add that up, that, that amounts to about 40% of a person's life. That's a long time, isn't it? That's a long time behind a desk or in a cubicle or you know, whatever it is that you do for a living. But, but we say that today, we acknowledge it today because that is a tremendous opportunity. 150,000 hours, that's a tremendous opportunity to make an impact on that particular environment. I think that's why God has so much to say about work, and I hope today that we can look at a few places in God's Word and, and really just hear what God has to say about how we can be intentional about our influence at work. But before we do, it, it, we just need to acknowledge it's, it's, really, uh, it's really unfortunate because in the perception of many, the church has remained almost silent on this topic. There was some interesting research that was conducted by Columbia Theological Seminary a few years ago. They did some nationwide research on the nature of work and how the church can help equip uh, people to integrate faith and work. And so there were two really, uh, really, I guess, sort of striking conclusions that came out of this research. The first is this, and it's, it's maybe not as, as striking, but... In this study, this nationwide study, the, the Christians who were polled said, uh, yeah, I, they have no problem identifying some ethical dilemmas, some places where they were, were trying to, to apply their faith in the workplace. And so maybe it was dealing with a particular employee, maybe it's dealing with an employer, maybe it's a matter of integrity. But, you know, for most of us here today, it's, it's no challenge for us to think about a pretty dicey situation, a place where you've had to think through, okay, what does it look like for me to conduct business here as a person of faith? So that, that's not real, real surprising. But it's that second point that I, I guess gives me a little more concern. And that is, again, in this nationwide survey, Christians from a whole broad spectrum of occupations said the church had done little to nothing to really equip those men and women of faith to be able to apply that faith in the workplace. Short of, you know, generic sermons on uh, Christian values and integrity, you know, uh, that, that you still sort of have to apply in your own way, these, these men and women said, you know, my, my church just doesn't seem to be really interested in my, my work life. 
They said that, that you know, the, the church seems to be really greatly interested in the private sphere. So you hear a lot in church about your relationship with God. You hear a lot about trying to love God, love others, or what, what's your, your salvation status. You know, all of those kinds of matters that, that tend to be what we would call it the, the private sphere of our lives. But this research comes back and, and many of the, the same churchgoers said, it seems like the church and her leaders just really aren't that interested in my life from Monday through Friday. And I just think, wow, that is really sad. That this tremendous part of our lives, 150,000 hours, that the church would seemingly have nothing to say. That the word of God would seemingly have nothing to say about this part of our lives that's so important. Well, I just want to say up front that I, I hope I hope you don't feel that way. I, I don't want you to feel that way about your church family. I really don't. Our hope is that when we gather together like this, that we can talk about things that are, that are relevant to our lives, right? And work is a part of that. And so, so today, I, I hope we can just have a conversation that's, that's positive, that's encouraging, that helps us, again, to understand the importance of our influence, in particular, in the workplace. So let's talk about that together. You need to know this, that in God's word, the, the first word on work is a really good one. <laughs> the first word on work in, in the scriptures is a really positive word. So the first thing you see God doing in, this, in the biblical story, he is at work. In the beginning, God created. God rolls up his sleeves. He gets to work. He creates the world. And at, at, the, at the end of this six-day period of creation, we have that seventh day. So there's this this work and this rest and work and rest and there's this rhythm that is just sort of woven into creation itself and at the end of that biblical story God takes man and he puts him in the garden and he gives him meaningful work to do he says I want you to tend to this garden I want you to exercise dominion over it I want you to name the animals and so there's all of this that's built in not only to who God is God is a God who works but his image bearers were created to work so if you've ever, you know, felt really satisfied about something in your work life, if you've ever, you know, you finished that, that project and you know you poured your heart and soul into it and you, you got that project off the ground, you know, some of you, literally that project involved getting a rocket off the ground and into the air, you know, like whatever it might be, you know, you work and you pour your heart and soul into it and you sit back and, you, and it feels really good and it's satisfying. Have you ever wondered why that that feels so good. Why, why are we wired that way? Well, according to the Bible, we're wired that way because we're made in the image of God. And God, at the end of his creation, he sits back and looks at a job well done and takes pride in it. And so when we do the same, we're just bearing the image of God. You and I were made for work. And so that means the first word from God on work is a really, really good one. The author Timothy Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, he argues that we need to recover this idea of work, not just as a job, but also as, as a calling. Some of you will remember that old commercial where the guy gets up, you know, at the crack of dawn and he goes, and you remember his, his whole, like, motto is it's time to make the donuts. You remember that commercial, some of you? And, and the whole thing is like he's just kind of grinding it out. It's this eight to five kind of grind where work has become so tedious and, and laborious. And there may be parts of your work that you feel like, you know, are sort of that way. It's, you may have kind of a it's time to make the donuts kind of attitude toward work. That's, that's fair and, and that happens. But, but there's a deeper 
more spiritual sense in which work can become a calling. Uh, the word that we use for uh, work sometimes is this word vocation. And it comes, according to Keller, it comes from this Latin word which means to call. And so that, that, that's interesting because we use work and vocation and job, we use those, those words sort of interchangeably, but there's a deeper and even more spiritual understanding of that idea of vocation. And so Keller talks about this. He says a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to it. And, and in particular, if we can begin to think of our work as not just a way of sort of uh, taking care of, providing for our own needs, but, but moreover, to see work as a mission of service to someone else, to others, to those around us. That's when we begin to take on a, a deeper understanding of what work can really mean. That becomes a vocation. It becomes a calling. It becomes something through which God can work. So a job can just be a job. Maybe it's sort of a stopgap. Maybe it, it gets you from point A to point B. If you're you know, a, a young person and you, you, you take on a, a job at a fast food restaurant to save up some money so that you can buy a car or or if you worked your way through college, so you're waiting tables at, at a restaurant, you know, you, you probably wouldn't speak of your job at Chick-fil-A or your job at Applebee's. You probably wouldn't talk about that as your life's calling, right? It's just kind of a job. But the job becomes a calling when it becomes a means through which you are able to serve other people. Because there are some people who view their work, they view their, their nine-to-five work even though it may be in some of those places, they view it as a calling. Keller goes on to say this. I think this quote is really helpful. He says, our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. So whatever it is we do for a living, wherever our, our place of business might be, uh, that place where you spend 150,000 hours of your life, that place is God's assignment for you. It is the place that God has called you to be. And he puts us there so that we might serve others. So God is not just interested in giving us jobs. He's interested in calling us into something far deeper. See, this gets into this whole sense of like a primary sort of calling and a secondary sort of calling. So from the video, and even last week, we talked about with this, with this light, you know, we have this, this, uh, this contrast between the darkness and, and the light here that is emanating from, from this light bulb. And we talked last week about the importance for us, in order to be people of influence the way God wants us to be, that we are the kind of people who are, in the words of Jesus, the light of the world, right? But that just means that we have responded to this primary call to get out of that darkness of sin and selfishness and pride. And instead, we have been now transformed. As the, the video said, quoting from Ephesians, we were once darkness. Not even that we were in darkness, although the Bible says that too. But in this space, Paul says, you were darkness. But now, this transfer has happened, and what was once darkness has now become light. And so when we respond to that primary calling... That transforms even our secondary callings. So whatever it is you do vocationally, whatever your job might be, if you have, have responded to the primary call to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness over here now into the kingdom of light, then that is naturally going to have an impact on your secondary calling, the calling that you have to spend 150,000 hours in some particular work environment. 
God has assigned you that work, and he's put you there so that you might be able to serve others. So your place of work, it's that place that God has assigned you so that you might be able to serve your family. I know many of you, you have that attitude. Hey, I'm doing this job because it, is, it, it pays the bills, it takes care of my family, it takes care of my house, you know, all of that. That is God honoring. That is a good thing. That is a, that is a vocation, and that makes your work a service. But you also, God has assigned you that work so that you might also then be able to serve your employees. I know many of you have that same attitude about your work. God has assigned you that work so that you might be able to serve your employer. That's kind of a different way to look at it, possibly, but it's still true. God has assigned us that work so that we might be able to serve our customers. But also, God has given us that work so that we might be able to serve our coworkers as well. You see how all that works, no matter what tasks we find ourselves assigned on a, on a weekly sort of basis, whatever the workday might look like, our calling is something far deeper. And that calling transforms Not only the way we conduct ourselves in the marketplace, but the opportunities that then present themselves. All this taps into an idea that comes directly from God's word. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what the word says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, called you where? Called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So again, that's just gospel. That's the primary call. That's the call to salvation, right? It's it's being over here in the darkness of my own sin and my own selfishness, my own pride. I'm calling the shots, but the the scriptures are clear. That is just darkness. But to to be saved, to receive salvation from Jesus Christ, the grace of God that comes through Christ moves me from one realm to the other where now i'm no longer in darkness but i'm walking in light and when i'm walking in light jesus says you become light because you're the light of the world because your eyes are fixed and focused on christ who himself is the light of the world and so simon peter taps into this idea and he gives us all these images but the one that really resonates with me he says you are a royal priesthood that's our vocation That's our calling. Simon Peter is just tapping into an ancient idea that came from the the Old Testament scriptures. In the book of Exodus, God says to his people as they're assembled there at Mount Sinai, he says, if you obey me fully, you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, the Lord says, listen to this part, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So back to Simon Peter, when he is writing this epistle, he's just, he's reappropriating this idea from the Old Testament, where God said to his people, you're a kingdom of priests. Now, there were priests who carried out very, very specific functions. The Levites were the ones who did that. And yet, as as important as that work was, and God called them to that particular work, God doesn't want his people to sit back and think, well, they're the ones who do the real spiritual work. I guess we just sort of sit back and, I don't know, farm and uh, raise livestock and we just do something to sort of fill our time until we make it to heaven. God says, no, 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 you too, all of you are a kingdom of priests. And Simon Peter says, that idea applies to the church because we are the ones who've been grafted in to Israel's story. 
And so as you lay that alongside what it is that you do for a living, again, wherever you spend those 150,000 hours, just know this, God is calling us to this kind of priestly service in his kingdom. I grew up in a time when uh, the unspoken assumption was that if you really wanted to serve God, the best way to do that was to work at a church. That's just kind of the way it was when, when I grew up. Uh, the, the unspoken assumption was, you know, if you really wanted to serve God, you, you needed to, to draw your paycheck from a church. And then, you know, even more than that, if you really, really wanted to serve God, uh, the best thing you could do is, is be the one who does the talking, right? <laughs> to be the, the preacher, to be the teacher. You know, that was in, in, in the, the world that I kind of grew up in, that was considered like the ultimate way that a person could serve God. It just was. And, uh, that probably had a lot to do with my career choice, uh, frankly, you know. Uh, that's just kind of the world I grew up in. But I've reached a, a point now where uh, I understand how short-sighted that perspective can really be when it comes to an, an understanding of kingdom and work and calling and vocation because God has so much to say about that. I'm so grateful that we seem to be in the, in, in the church, we seem to be at a, a, a better place of understanding that this, this kingdom of priests, this royal priesthood idea, it applies to, to all of us. So, you know, what would, what would the world look like if, if everybody bought into that idea that I kind of absorbed in an unspoken kind of indirect way when I was growing up. If everybody who wanted to serve God felt like, like me, they had to work at a church, can you imagine what the world would look like? <laughs> if everybody who wanted to serve God said, you know what, I, I need to be a preacher, you know, would you want to live in a world like that? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, like, be a lot of sermons being preached, but I'm not sure much else would, would get done, you know, um, but we're, thankfully, we're at a place of better understanding that God calls all of us to serve in ways that we're scarcely beginning to understand. Here's what I'm trying to say. It's that mission isn't just for missionaries. And ministry isn't just for ministers. You know, being a part of God's royal priesthood means living on mission, no matter where you might draw a paycheck, no matter what you might choose to do for a living, you are a minister of the Lord. If you've responded to that primary call, if he has called you out of darkness into light, then you are a minister of the Lord. You are a part of that royal priesthood. And God does amazing things through you in your workplace. In those 150,000 hours you're going to spend and invest your life's work. I can't imagine what God is doing through you. Because mission isn't just for missionaries and ministry isn't just for ministers. This is a call for all of us. If you look at all the characters in the scriptures, you know how few of them were professional clergy? I mean, hardly any of them. Uh, Moses and Amos, they were shepherds. Daniel and Joseph, politicians. Lydia was in sales. Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul, they were tent makers. Nehemiah, like some of you, a civil engineer. Adam was a gardener. Joshua was in the military. Judas was an accountant. I apologize to Noel Talon, wherever he might be, okay? Luke was a physician. Deborah was a judge. 
Joseph, the father of Jesus, was a tradesman. We won't even talk about Rahab and what she did for a living. But all of those, you look at what, what God does through these people, and there's just this rich tapestry of these individuals who have different skills and abilities and gifts, and God works through all of them. They each had a part to play in God's mission and God's ministry. The priests were the ones who would mediate between God and man. Uh, they brought the needs of the people before God, and they took the needs uh, of God, the word of God back you know, to the people. So just think about that for a second. Think about the implications of that. If, if Simon Peter is right, and I believe he is, and he calls us a, a royal priesthood, and the priests were the ones who would kind of mediate between God and man, right? living out the word of God before the people, taking the needs of the people before God. Well, that means this, that whatever you do and wherever it is that you work, you have an opportunity to mediate the presence of God. And that should never be taken lightly. We have an opportunity to live out that prayer that Jesus prays, that the kingdom of God would come, that his will would be done on earth. And there, I think we ought to read, at work, in me, at work. So his, will, his kingdom come, his will be done at work, even as it is in heaven. You're living that out. I mean, tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, you'll be right there. Many of you living that out. And as you do, you know, you have a, a chance, you have an opportunity to, to live out the best of God's kingdom values. Those virtues will be on full display. You have a chance to, to be able to walk among people who are just, just hungry for a word of encouragement. I've been reminded again this weekend, watching the news, just how broken our world is, right? So what do people of faith have to say about that? There's somebody in your workspace who's, who's probably looking for somebody to, to just encourage them, somebody to pray for them. You know, doesn't God want us to fan out throughout this city as agents of, of prayer in our workspaces? Well, absolutely. For some of you, you might be able to be more overt about that in your workspace than others, but to live this out as people of light, that's what God calls us to. One scholar writes, the doctrine of vocation amounts to a comprehensive doctrine of the Christian life. It transfigures ordinary, everyday life with the presence of God. And then he says this, the priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers, thank goodness, rather it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. So in terms of vocation, every Christian is called to be a part of this royal priesthood. And that means all of our work can be a part of this sacred calling that the Word of God is talking about. So as teachers, and as doctors, and as engineers, and as sales reps, and as stay-at-home parents, and business owners, and attorneys, we're all participating in this work of the royal priesthood. And that is a powerful word to each one of us. Shame on us if we haven't done a good job of saying that in our churches. So this is where we get to a couple of whatever you do passages that pretty much apply to everything, all right? Uh, as, as people who are trying to live out this royal priesthood, it, we're, we're, we're whatever you do people. And so Colossians 3 and 1 Corinthians 10, they say kind of the same thing. The first one, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him fairly comprehensive, right? Whatever you do, not a lot of wiggle room there. But first Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says much the same thing. So whether you eat or drink or, again, whatever you do, do it all for the glory 
of God. So let's take these two whatever passages and you kind of mash them up. Here's, here's what it says, okay? So whatever you do and wherever you do it, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. You remember Jesus says that even a cup of cold water given in his name can be transformative, right? So again, whatever it is that we do and wherever we do it, let's do it first in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does your work look like when it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus? It might look exactly the same week in, week out, but imagine what God does through that. What does work look like when it's given over to the glory of God? I, I don't know, but I can't wait to see what God does with just a little bit of an intentionality there. To be a part of the royal priesthood, that, that makes us whatever people, right? Whatever we do, we do it in, in the name of Jesus and we do it for the glory of God. I want to wind down just by shifting to a little bit of concrete application here of some of these ideas. I asked a few of my friends this week, okay, how does this play out in your work environment? Uh, I love what I get to do for a living. I love being able to, you know, preach and share God's word with you. But uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a lot of credibility on this, <laughs> on what it looks like to live out your faith in a work environment that could be kind of hostile. Um, I get to work with some of the best people I know. But I know some of you have a lot of integrity on this. So I asked some of my friends this week, okay, tell me, how do you do this? How do you integrate faith and work? What's that look like? How do you balance that? And, and the most encouraging takeaway I can share with you is that after talking with so many, so many people this week, um, I asked the question, okay, so how are you able to, to integrate your faith and work? Every single one of the people I talked to, men and women, young and old, every one of them was able to say, yes, I'm able to find a way to integrate my faith in my workplace. Now, for some of them, again, they're more vocal in, 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 the, in their faith. They're able to kind of talk, talk about it more than, than others. Some other people told me, like, ah, I've got to kind of pick my spots and I've got to exercise a little more discretion. But I love the fact that the bottom line there is that every single person that I spoke with this week said, yeah, this is, this is where I live. You know, this is, this is what I do. I, I spend a lot of effort and energy trying to think through exactly how I can do this. So that, to me, is just, it's awesome. One of my friends, uh, he's a member of this church, and uh, he kind of thinks in lists, like many of you. So uh, he, he gave me three uh, pragmatic ways that he tries to, to live this out, okay, to integrate his faith at work, and I want to share it with you. Uh, he said, number one, I explicitly talk about the Lord when I do one-on-one -on -one counseling. So he says he has employees, and they come to him, and if they have problems, they're, they're dealing with marital issues or, or family issues, a loss of a loved one, or, you know, trying to make a hard work decision, he says, I will explicitly refer to the Lord. I'll talk about justice in God's terms, or I'll talk about what it means to be compassionate and kind, and he said, I, I have no qualms doing that. So that's number one. In a one-on-one -on -one setting, I'll, I'll do that every time. He said, two, I use servanthood as the model by which I approach leadership. I want them to see me yeah, as a leader, because that's the hat I have to wear, but I want it to be servant leadership, and I'm really intentional about that. I love that too. And then number three, he says, I pick certain days and even certain hours and times where no matter if somebody walks in my office or what, they're going to see my Bible open, and I'm going to try and reflect on the Word of God, and I've got my prayer journal, and I've, I've written a few prayer requests, and it may only be 15 minutes in between meetings, but it's something, and it keeps me grounded. He says, that's not life-changing, but I do it, and, and I like to think it helps. And so he, he kind of shared all that with me. Uh, I put it on the screen for you, and I, uh, each of those three bullets starts with the letter S, because that's what I do for a living, all right? So 
uh, the pragmatic ways that he says to integrate faith, just kind of summarizing, he says, number one, there's speech that's saturated with the divine. Number two, servant leadership, always, always, always being modeled. And then number three, the scripture as a counter to the stresses in our life. So many of my friends that I talked to this week, what they had to say came back and fell into one of those three buckets, one of those three categories. Uh, one of the most common themes throughout these conversations I have with my friends is about trying to be intentional when it comes to uh, Christ-like speech in the workplace. So one of my friends has been telling me for quite a while that there's been a really dramatic increase uh, in the level of casual cursing in his workplace. Maybe you've noticed that. Maybe your workplace is kind of unaffected by that. But he says, you know, four-letter words are like becoming really commonplace, not just when people are mad, not that that makes it any better, but it's just sort of casual, just sort of throw it out here and throw it out there. And he says, that's, that's really tough. But, you know, he, he said, look, you just need to know, just by not participating, I stand out from the crowd. You know, I don't even have to do anything preachy there. I just, just by not participating in that, I'm automatically, I sort of stand out. So he was telling me, um, new boss, and they're going through some training the other day, and, and uh, during the two or three days of training, this one, uh, this boss had this one particular word that he really liked to use, this four-letter word. He used it hundreds of times. And at one point, he finally turned to my friend. He said, I'm killing you with this language, right? And my friend kind of shrugged. He was like, well, I mean, I don't participate, so uh, yeah, it's, I, I notice it. He's just trying to deflect, but still kind of stand his ground. And the guy said, eh, I'm sorry. I'll, I know I shouldn't. I didn't used to speak this way. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do better. Again, my, my friend, he's, again, he's, he's not being preachy about it. He's just, he's just being who he thinks God wants him to be. He's being light in a dark environment. And yet, he was able to have a positive impact. Another of my friends, she said, you know, I really have to uh, put forth a lot of effort to be slow to anger in my workplace. Can you relate to that? She was like, I even have to, I have to write that verse down on a post-it note. I have it stuck on my computer screen, be slow to anger, so that if I get a nasty email, I, don't, I have to go through that uh, post-it note before I reply. Or if somebody comes to my desk and they just really, you know, want to bite my head off, I've got to go through that verse before I can look at them. And she said, I, I'm just putting forth effort to be really Christ-like in my speech. And it's hard, but it is the prayer I pray every morning when I get there. Every morning, God, help me honor you with my speech. She says, I try to look for opportunities to say a kind word, to be, speak a gracious word. And I don't know what God's doing with that, but I'm just trying. And she says, I, there's times where somebody will, I'll, I'll have a chance to say, you know, this is what I've learned from God's word lately. And she said, I don't know if that's having any impact either, but I do it. And I love that because that's intentional about influence in the workplace. Another one of those common themes, again, that, that idea of servant leadership, that's basically just talking about taking your example really seriously. One of my best friends is an attorney in Tennessee. He was my college roommate. And so he says, you know, in my line of work, yeah, I, I don't shy away from, you know, religious conversations in the workplace, but I also don't initiate them. If somebody else brings it up, then I'll go there. But he said, uh, it's part of my intro when I meet people. I just try to let them know where I go to church. And again, I'm not trying to be too preachy about it, but I like to just put it out there. That's part of my life. So, you know, I'm Matt. My wife's name is Cecile. We have two kids, and they go to this school, and, and I'm a member at the Northeast Church of Christ. That's just kind of who I am. He says, but more than anything else, what I like to do is that the people around me know I'm a Christian. And because they know, that really holds my feet to the fire. He says, whenever there's a tough decision to be made, I, my people know. By telling them I'm a Christian ahead of time, they, they know then that even if it's the hard thing, I'm going to try and do the right thing. 
And I love that. Because so often the hard thing is the right thing, right? And this is a guy who's gone to law school, and so he's an attorney, and that's, that's like a, that's a calling, but it's a secondary calling because he's an attorney, but first and foremost, he's a priest, right? He's part of the royal priesthood. And so that impacts the way that he conducts his business, the way he practices law. And I love that mindset because it gets, it gets us to where we are, whatever it is we do for a living, again, wherever you might spend those 150,000 hours, go there as a priest, as a member of the royal priesthood, and God will do great and awesome things through you. Last little story, another one of my friends I was talking to this week, he said he started a new job, and about his fourth or fifth day on the job, this, this co-worker comes up to him, and she just looks at him, and she says, you're a believer, aren't you? <laughs> and he was kind of like, uh, yeah, what, how did you know? <laughs> and uh, she says, I can just tell. And, just, and so he spent the rest of his time trying to think, okay, was there, was there a point in there where I was, you know, did I quote some Bible verse, or did, you know, was I wearing a, you know, Jesus t-shirt? <laughs> you know, like, what, did I do something that was sort of overt? And he was like, I, I can't really think of anything. And I love that. Don't you? Because again, there was nothing overt about it. It was just this coworker picking up on what has become a way of life, an intentional way of Christian conduct that has become natural to this person. And he would tell you, man, I struggle and I don't always get it right. But at least, at least in that moment, there was something about that where she expected darkness and noticed light and responded to it. Virtue matters. When it comes to your time in the workplace, integrity matters. Christian values matter. Your example matters. If you take 150,000 hours of Christian virtue and goodness and kindness and you pour that into your work environment, it'll be the other side of eternity before we even know the good that comes from that. Maybe you're one of the few who, you know, you've, you've actually led a coworker to Christ. If so, that is awesome. We need more of those stories, all right? So don't give up on that. I'm just saying you can never underestimate the importance of your influence, especially in the workplace. I want to close by just having a special prayer. You know, last week we called all the students to the stage, and I guess we could do that with the grown-ups. Um, be kind of wild. Um, we're not going to do that, all right? So you just kind of stay put. But I'd like to pray and just ask God, just like we asked for our, our students, right? From that story of David. Let's not underestimate our influence. Let's take it really seriously. I'd love to pray that for each of us in our line of work, that those 150,000 hours could be intentionally focused on walking as children of light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, you're so good to us, and your love endures forever. For that, we're thankful. God, I just want to represent these women and men right now, God. You know where they spend so many hours in their week. You know where their minds are and their hearts are. They uh, truly, they labor with love so often, God. Lord, I just pray that right now you would encourage them, that you would help them to know the importance of their influence, their example, their speech, God. I pray that this would just be even though it's a, a simple message, God, I pray it would just be a reminder to us 
of the importance of, of these kinds of things and that even just the mustard seed of faith that we give to you and we when we go to work tomorrow and, and try to live the kind of lives you want us to live even with that mustard seed God you can do great and awesome and mighty things God you've taken lesser gifts than that and transformed the world so God I'm praying for for my brothers and sisters here God I'm praying for those of us who who can't really even see that our work is much of a calling at all God Maybe there is that grind that we're just caught up in. God, even so, even for that woman, for that man, God, I'm praying that you would just help them to see the importance of their example, that virtue always matters, that walking as a child of light is the most important thing we can do. So God, may these lights shine brightly in this city, and when they do, Father, may you receive all the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve both now and forevermore. This we pray through Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our song of invitation. If you need to respond in any way to the love and the grace and the mercy of your creator, I hope you'll do that. Let's stand together and sing.